The case of Susan Lameha is honestly one of the most tragic cases I've looked into since I started to investigate the Mad City murders. Normally, when I run a newspaper search of victims' names, I get hundreds of articles. When I ran Christine Rothschild's name, I narrowed the search results to only show articles between 1968 and 1969, I was shown almost 300 articles. But when I would search for Susan with no date restrictions, I only found nine. And of the majority of them, they're only linked to her to the other women associated with these murders, all of whom had so many more articles. Why is that? This is a Searching for Closure podcast. Tonight, another cold case from the Metro Police Homicide Files. It's a murder from 1973. Susan was 24 when she disappeared. She was last seen on December 15, 1979, leaving her room in Allen Hall, which was a residential facility at State and Francis Street for people with disabilities. It's been said that Susan was mildly developmentally disabled and physically disabled on the left side of her body. I couldn't find any more information on exactly what these disabilities were. It was not of any immediate concern when she went missing, as she usually liked to hang out around State and Williamson Street or around the area of King and Main Street in downtown Madison. She would often disappear for a while, but she would usually return back to her room. But this time, she was not seen again until April of the following year, 1980. Susan's lifeless body would be found in a marshy area on campus that the students referred to as the Lost City. I was curious as to what exactly this Lost City was, so I looked into it a little bit more. Apparently, it's the remnants of a failed plan that was named Lake Forest. Lake Forest would have been an expansive suburban utopia, spearheaded by developer Chandler Chapman with plans laid and construction beginning in the early 1900s. The 800-acre residential mecca promised a superior way of life, complete with streetcar service, playgrounds, schools, gas and electric lines, and a water supply rivaling that of Madison itself. Much of the allure of Lake Forest stemmed from the planned balance between nature and urban development. Around 1,000 lots were initially planned, and about 7,000 dwelling units, with many situated on the edge of a pond or on the outskirts of a small forest preserve. However, the lofty goals of Lake Forest were undermined by the land itself, which proved to be unable to support the weight of this new community. The moment roads were paved and concrete foundations erected, the entire area began to sink. The Lake Forest Land Company had originally planned to build 7,000 feet of canals throughout the community, which would lower the water table and create less marshy foundations for the homes. Without the full canal system, the first homes built were sucked into the bog around them. Originally, police suspected that perhaps Susan had fallen in the area and hurt herself, being physically handicapped 
she might not have been able to find safety and eventually died from the harsh Wisconsin weather. This theory is pretty rational, especially after I read the description of the lost city and saw some pictures of it. It definitely looks like a place where young people would go and explore, hang out, and possibly party at. It wasn't until examiners determined her cause of death that they realized how wrong they were. Susan was stabbed to death. Her torso was littered with puncture wounds. And that is literally all the information I could find on Susan. Three news articles. No suspects. No number of stab wounds. Only one photo of her. No websites dedicated to her case. No books being written about her. No video or nightly news reports. Nothing. So why do victims like Christine get hundreds and hundreds of articles, blogs, websites, all dedicated to her? And someone like Susan only gets three articles and nothing else. For one, it could be the handicap factor. Someone who is not at the top of the food chain, so to speak, might not get as much attention from the media. Mentally handicapped people are often looked down on in society, shunned or made into a punchline. They're treated like they're less than human because they were born differently than everyone else. They are punished for something that is out of their control. The same thing could be said for physical appearance. An attractive white blonde girl is way more likely to be focused on and shown in the media as opposed to an unattractive person or a person of color. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not, race, class, and gender of the victim all plays a huge role in the media attention it gets. Victims who are white, middle to upper class females receive way more media attention than lower class people or people of color. Just do a simple Google search for missing true crime serial podcasts. How many of those cover attractive white females who are missing? Then compare how many of those are for average or unattractive women or missing people of color. One reason for this is that people who are higher up in society are able to make bigger waves. The richer or more well-off someone is, the more sway they have, and they can make more headlines. And some higher-priority crimes are usually used to help change legislation. But mourning and memorializing only pretty white girls can make minorities seem even more nameless and forgotten. We have to remember that everyone is equal, whether they are the child of a prominent figure in society or a drug addict living on the streets. All lives can be beautiful, and all murder is tragic. Social status, race, gender, mental ability, none of these things truly matter when any single one of those people, regardless of their characteristics, can be a victim to a rapist, kidnapper, or murderer. I personally would never choose a case based on just race, gender, social class, or anything like that. I've always chosen my cases based on the story behind them. How cold is a cold case? How tragic or sad is it? Does anyone still care? The cases that are mostly forgotten, they're the most important to me. I've lived near Racine most of my entire life, 
and I had never heard of Tina until I actively went looking for a local unsolved case. I had never heard of Kayla until I actively went looking into unsolved missing persons cases in Wisconsin. And I've never heard of the eight women involved in the Mad City murders until I actively went back looking for more unsolved murders. I didn't know what any of these women looked like or what lives they lived until I had already decided to investigate the case. And the case of the Madison 8 that I can barely find any information on, they really stand out to me and make me focus on them so much more than the other ones. I try to treat all victims the same, but sometimes the ones that seem to be the most forgotten need to be remembered even more. The same goes for the victim I'll be discussing on next week's episode, Shirley Stewart, who I couldn't even find a picture of let alone many news articles. I was originally going to merge together a few of these smaller cases to try to make the episodes a little bit longer. I was going to combine the two Julies together into one episode and have Shirley and Susan be one episode. But I don't think that's fair to the victims. How hypocritical would it be of me to talk about how disparaged some groups of people are and then just go and lump them all together? So Susan and Shirley and Julie and Julie all get their own week of attention. Hopefully someone out there knows more about them and can help me fill in any gaps. If you know any more about Susan, or if you have any tips, leads, or clues regarding any of the cases I cover, please email me at info at searchingforclosure.com or join our Facebook group, which can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash searching for closure. All of these links along with photos, articles, and updates can be found at searchingforclosure.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're instantly updated with any new episodes. If I get any breaking news, I'll release it as soon as I can record it, instead of waiting until the normal release date. Also, please share this podcast with all your friends and family. Share it on Facebook. Tell your coworkers. Tell everyone you know. The more people who listen to this, the more tips and breaks in the case we might get. The more fresh eyes we have examining it, the more possibilities we have in seeing a new angle or something that might have been overlooked. Until next time, thank you for listening.